I've titled today's teaching, Sukkot, From the Tabernacle to Bethlehem. So perhaps the most joyous Holy Week given to us by God is in fact Sukkot, also known as Tabernacles. And the reason becomes obvious when when we consider the connections between tabernacles and the prophesied birth of the Messiah. I was adopted and raised in a devout Catholic home. We knew how to do Christmas. The Protestants are just wannabes. Sorry, had to say that. We had midnight mass. We'd go on Christmas Eve to our churches and we would have these long services and we would sing and rejoice and there'd be Christmas trees up on the altar. I remember one year we had like 12 in our church. They were just everywhere, decked out, right? It was amazing. I was enthralled by that, enthralled by the season of his birth. Trees everywhere. I see trees. Christmas, right? And there, there was the traditional Christmas ham dinner, you know, that honey-glazed ham. We'd have that every year with our family and our friends, our relatives. In fact, it was not only a day of celebration, it was a week. It was the week of Christmas, if you would. And then there was Santa Claus and the reindeers and all the stories. We had nativity scenes, and Santa was always right there, like the right-hand man of baby Jesus. I used to think it was like his uncle. When I was growing up, I did. When I was growing up, I was thinking, is that like his uncle, you know? That was all mixed up. We call that a syncretism. When you take a pagan set of traditions and holy traditions and blend them together. So of, cur- of course, the, the birth of Jesus was obscured with all the pagan elements tied into it. So I got born again uh, when I was 18 years old and began my journey of teshuvah, of returning to a biblical faith. And I discovered the holy days of God, Leviticus 23. And I was amazed with them, intrigued by them. But nonetheless, I missed celebrating the birth of Jesus. After all, it's one of the most significant events in all of human history, right? What a loss. And then suddenly, like Forrest Gump, right? Then suddenly, just like that, I realized that the festivals all pointed forward to Jesus the Messiah. And if that's true, and it is, then surely there is a festival setting for the birth of Messiah. As Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born, right? The Mashiach. So if there was ever a time 
and theological setting for celebrating Jesus' entrance into our world, it is tabernacles. Today we're going to connect some of the dots between the festival of Sukkot, tabernacles, and the birth of the babe born in Bethlehem. So get your sukkah ready. Decorate it to the hilt. For unto us a child is born, and he will be called Emmanuel. For he is God with us. So let's jump back and look at the Hebraic backdrop of this holy week called Sukkot. Leviticus 29, actually Leviticus 23 and verse 39 states this. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in all the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. How many days? It says seven. Feast of the Lord for seven days. You have a holy convocation on the first and on the eighth. Yeah, that doesn't really uh, match, does it? It's part of the mystery. It's a seven-day festival, but it has an eighth day associated with it. That is a sermon for another time. I asked Ceres one time, I said, is Jesus the Messiah? You know what she told me? She says, that is a topic for another time. I thought, okay, I'll wait. Now on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall rejoice. That's a command. You shall rejoice. Hey, you grumpers. You shall rejoice. It's a party. It's a celebration. Remember, remember the uh, movie, what was the name of the movie? Um, it was a Christmas movie. Um, Scrooge. Yeah, I remember Scrooge. Remember that? So he's the biggest grump of all. So he comes into that room and it's just lit up and the king is sitting up on the mantle. He looks down at Scrooge and he says, come here, you weird little man. And he comes grumping in there. He says, drink some of this. And he makes him drink the milk of life, which I think was Mogan David. I don't know. But he sure cheered up after that. But he had to learn the lesson to get some cheer on, to change his perspective, to rejoice in the king. And our Father in heaven is saying, you can't grump all the time. There are seasons of joy, and this is one of them, and you shall rejoice. When they went into captivity, he listed out a number of reasons why they went into captivity. You know what one of those were? Because they did not serve him in gladness. They were grumping. They were grumping. Let's get our joy on. 
Doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It's a season of joy. This is a week of joy. It says, you shall celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. Joy, joy, joy. Leviticus 23, 42 through 43. We'll pick this up. Starts out saying, you shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You're going to live in booths. Now that doesn't make too much sense for us. Booths. What's a booth, right? You shall live in pup tents. Maybe that will help, right? So they were journeying in the wilderness for 40 years. And in the wilderness, they made these little tiny like shelters to give them some shade by day and some shelter by night. And these little temporary booths was what they dwelt in as they moved around the wilderness for 40 years. And God made a big one for himself. And he journeyed with them. And he says, and what I want you to do is every year during this time is I want you to build that booth again. I want you to live in it for seven days to remind you of your history, to remind you of my promises that I made to you concerning this week of festivity. So, you know, it doesn't tell us how to make those booths today, right? You got to kind of like think through that a little bit. And there's a lot of different ways to make booths. I've got some handouts if you want to make a booth this year. I encourage everyone to do that. And uh, not get into all the rabbinic uh, traditions tied into that because it can get into the minutiae and it's very laborious. But just make, you know, some little booth that you can sit in, in the backyard or whatever. And uh, if you need help with that, we're going to help you. We'll give you some resources. So... I decided I'm going to do this years ago. And I got my daughter, Shana, of course, and she's pretty young and pretty gutsy. And I told her, we're going to sleep out. I'm going to build a little tent out here and we're going to sleep in it every night. She was so excited. I was excited. It was in front of my house and uh, the, the, the gradient was a little bit at an angle. And I went pitched that tent and we got our stuff and got a bunch of snacks. Oh yeah. We got in there and we're eating away and it's cold. It's cold. It came late that year. Got our sleeping bags and got all sugared up and salted up and having a great time. And it began to snow. And I'm thinking, oh man, I'm not sure if this is going to work. She's like, come on dad, come on dad. You know, so I'm out there with her and it got more and more snow and kind of built up around the tent. And it was not real cold, but cold enough to kind of snow and kind of melt. And by about midnight, I'm wet because it snowed and kind of melted and snowed and it came into the tent and I'm laying in it and now I'm cold. 
I told her, I said, we need to go in. She says, come on, Dad, it's Sukkot. Come on, we can do this, you know. And I finally caved in. I said, no, we're going in. I drug her out, and she was upset with that, and we went inside, and I thought, man, what is up with that, Lord? This isn't a very joyous time. I don't know if I can do this. This is like the first night. There's like, what? Six more nights of this? And I discovered the verse. Let's put that up again. You shall live in booths for seven days, all the native born in Israel. And I was free. All of a sudden, just like that, I was free. I thought, that makes sense, Lord. You were thinking through that. Yeah, the native born in Israel. Because in Israel, it's warm during Sukkot. It's not like Montana, right? It's not like Anchorage, Alaska at this time of the year. So you know what? I was freed from that. No longer had I this compulsion to sleep outside in my little sukkah. So anyway, long story short, make a sukkah if you want to. Do as much or as little as you want to because you're not a native born in the land. But it's still a lot of fun. So do what you want to do and make it a joyful time. Verse 44. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed times of the Lord. Verses 8 and 9. I'm sorry. Let me shift gears. Exodus 25. Let's jump into Exodus 25. These are the instructions that God gave concerning his sukkah. So in Exodus 25, 8 through 9, he says, Let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. So Israel was supposed to go in the promised land. But they were grumping and complaining and full of unbelief. And so God said, okay, you're going to wander for 40 years. That's a long time to wander. He says, you're going to die. You're not going to go in, but your kids will. I'm going to bless your kids and they're going to go in. But we're going to wander together because even in the midst of this great chastisement that I'm going to give to you, I'm going to be with you in it. I'm with you in the good times and I'm with you in the bad times. I'm always faithful. So God says, build your little sukkahs and build me a big one. Because Papa wants to dwell in your midst. In fact, later he tells Moses, take my big sukkah, my tabernacle, right? And put it right in the middle of all of theirs. Put me right in the center of my people. I want to dwell in the midst of them. And I want to relate to them. I want to be with them and them with me in this wandering in the wilderness. So this is the story of Sukkot. This is all about the festival of Sukkot. He says every year you're going to celebrate this to remind you of that time together in the desert and why you were in the desert. And more importantly, the promises that I made to you in that time period. It goes on in verses 43 and 45. He says, I will meet there in the tabernacle. I will meet there with the sons of Israel and it shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tents of meeting and the altar. I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. I want you to think of the tabernacle as a portable home. So these were, these, these were their dwelling places. Their homes, if you will. That's why the tabernacle is called the house of the Lord. 
And that's why later we're called to what? To come into the house of the Lord, to be part of God's household, to live where he lives in his dwelling presence. This is the theme of Sukkot. Chapter 29, verses 45 through 46. God says, I will dwell among the sons of Israel. I will be their God. This is his promise. This is the promise of Sukkot. This is the meaning of Sukkot. I will dwell among the sons of Israel. I will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. He says, my promise to you, the meaning of this week is to remind you of the promise that I will dwell with you. We will dwell together. I will bring you into my household. You will know me by experience. You'll know my salvation, my forgiveness, my mercies, my loving kindness. I want you to know me and I want to know you. So this is about journeying together, about joining God in this life experience of relationship. So when you think of Sukkot, I want you to think of God's promise to dwell with his people. What is the symbol of Sukkot? A sukkah. That's the symbol. The symbol of this week is a sukkah. That's why we built sukkahs. And what does it symbolize? The promise of God's dwelling presence in our midst. When you look at the sukkah, it should remind you that God has promised to dwell with you in your midst. That is beautiful. That is powerful. So let's talk about Sukkot and the birth of Messiah. There's an ancient prophecy of the divine and miraculous birth of Yeshua found in the writings of Isaiah. In fact, there's a number of passages. I want to look at one of those. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Let's look at the first verse. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, El Gibor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Interesting, isn't it? The child born unto us will also have the title Everlasting Father. This is the, the language, the titles given here. This, this is why the sages say this is about the Messiah coming, the coming of Messiah, that he's going to come as a child. Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This promise of a child being born tells us that the Messiah will come as one of us. That, that, that if God is an everlasting father, then he has a son, and the son is everlasting. You, you can't be an eternal father unless you have an eternal son, which means the son has always been with the father. He's eternal. 
He shares in the same substance and essence that we call God. They are one in essence, distinct in person, father and son. God says, my son is going to come as a human being. You think, how is that even possible? How will that happen? God says, in my zeal, I'll make it happen. In my zeal, I'll bring it to pass. This is what we call the birth of Yeshua, miraculous. Born of a virgin. There's just so much tied into this. This is why it's so exciting. This is why the birth of Jesus is so important. This is why I was so overwhelmed with joy when I realized I get to celebrate the birth of Messiah. It's right there in the text. It's right there in the festival. I just didn't look far enough forward to the fulfillment. You look back to when it's first given, not much information is given. So you don't really see too much about the birth of Messiah. But when you come forward and see what Messiah does in his birth, and you see all these connecting points between his birth and Sukkot, all of a sudden you realize, oh yes, of course, this would be the time in which we would celebrate his birth. It makes perfect sense. So Jesus' birth is described as God's dwelling presence coming to us in a surprisingly new and living way. He'd always dwelt in a structure, a tabernacle, and then a temple. What a surprise that he would actually fulfill his promise in such a radically different way. Who would anticipate that? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The Word is one with God and is God. And I've said this before. The Aramaic, the language of the day, would have had ha-memra, the Word. Memra is Aramaic for the Word, logos. In the beginning was ha-memra, and ha-memra was with God, and ha-memra was God. Ha-memra, in early Jewish literature, is identified as the Mashiach. The Mashiach is the word of the Lord personified. So if you had Jewish ears in the first century, what's implied in this passage is powerful. As John spoke, you would have heard, in the beginning was the Mashiach. The Mashiach was with God and the Mashiach was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through the Messiah and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. He is the Messiah. He is the creator of all things seen and unseen. The son of the eternal father. This is who he is. Verse 14. And the word, Hamemra, the Messiah, became flesh 
and dwelt among us. We saw his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me say this again. Let's put that slide back up. Slide 39. And the word, I'm sorry, slide 39. It's a couple slides down. Slide 39. That is the weirdest mistranslation I've ever seen. John 1.14 talking about Azazel. That is not anyone's fault. It's the one who's sick today and not here. I'll talk to her later. She's probably watching our live streaming. Okay, so I'll just read this. I'll just read it. John 1.14. And the word became flesh. Hamemra became flesh. The Mashiach became flesh. Became a human being. God, the one who was with God and is God, God, Emmanuel, became one of us. God became a human being. He came down. This is the Hebraic concept of salvation, where God comes down to man and saves us. The Greek concept is we ascend into the heavenlies. Salvation is God coming down to us. Not us going up to God. We don't save ourselves. He saves us. He became one of us. The Word became flesh, became a human being. For unto us a child is born. It says, and he dwelt among us. Dwelt. There's a connecting point here. Dwelt. Keep in mind the meaning of Sukkot. It's God's promise to dwell with us. What we're seeing here is the fulfillment of the promise. The promise that God made to our ancestors. He says, I'm going to come and dwell in the midst of you. And all of a sudden, he shows up as one of us in the midst of us to dwell with us. In fact, the Greek word for dwell means to pitch a tent. See if we got that slide, 41. It means to pitch a tent, to encamp, to tabernacle. Isn't that interesting? It means to tabernacle, to pitch a tent, to pitch a tabernacle and to dwell in it, to make it one's abode, one's house, one's dwelling place. God's saying, I'm going to come in a new sukkah. A sukkah of human flesh and blood. And I'm going to dwell in your midst closer to you than you've ever anticipated. When did that happen? At the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is the initial fulfillment of God's promise to come and dwell in our midst. This is the season of celebrating his birth. When he took on a human sukkah, when he pitched a tent and dwelt in it in our midst. In John 14, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 
my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. This is, this is the promise of Sukkot being fulfilled in and through Jesus. Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm not only coming as a human being. Ultimately, I'm going to come inside of you. You know, when God said, I want to dwell in the midst of my people and put the tabernacle in the middle of them, that's pretty close. You know, God's pretty close when you can see his tabernacle down the street. All of a sudden, he's walking around in our midst in his son. That's even closer. And now, after the resurrection, by his spirit, he promises to come inside of us. He says, hey, me and my father want to live in you. We want to make your body our home. We want to live inside of you. Is that like amazing? Yes. That's close. That's up close and personal, right? Yes. This is the promise being made good of Sukkot. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Peter says, in coming to him as to a living stone, which was rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, living stones, you are being built up as a spiritual house, a spiritual sukkah, a spiritual tabernacle or temple. See, God has moved out of the one made with human hands. And now he's moving into the one that's living and mobile. Every believer is a living stone in that spiritual building. Each one of you are actually living, breathing stones in this sukkah of God that he indwells so that each one of us are the temple of God. We're the house of God. God dwells in us. The hope of glory, the hope of the nation, of the world. We have the living presence of God in us. This is why the world is looking at us and being drawn to us because in us is the life of God. In us is the presence of God. We are living sukkahs. Say, I'm a sukkah. God lives in me. Man, I'm telling you guys, it doesn't get any better than this. Actually, it does, but that's another sermon for another time. But this is really, this is really good. Living stones. When we come together as the harvest in this place, we have a corporate house where God dwells. When we're out away from each other, we are living stones representing that house. That's quite, quite enormous, by the way, when you think of 1.2 billion believers. It's quite a temple. And that's where God dwells now. He moved out of the earthly one into the spiritual one, the true one, the one that he had planned all along. So in conclusion and application, God's promise to Moses to come and dwell in our midst starts with the earthly tabernacle in the wilderness and then finds its initial fulfillment in the birth of Jesus. 
This is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus during the week of Sukkot. It is the theological setting and framework for the birth of Messiah and God's promise being fulfilled. It is irrefutable that the Apostle John casts the birth of Jesus in the language and symbol of the Festival of Tabernacles. It's not a debate. It's clear in the text. John the Jew, and if you had Jewish ears, you would have connected all that. As Gentiles, we need help connecting that. It's right there. John makes this undeniable connection between the Feast of Tabernacles and the initial fulfillment in the birth of Jesus who pitched a human sukkah and dwelt in it. God with us, Emmanuel. So get your sukkah ready. Decorate it to the hilt. You know, it's really hard to compete with the Christmas tree. Unless you got a sukkah in September. And you decorate it to the hilt. Yeah. I've seen some really amazing, beautiful sukkahs. And what they represent is so clearly and undeniably the glory of Jesus. The tree is so confusing. And, and Uncle Santa Claus and all that is just cluttered with confusion. But celebrating the birth of Jesus within its theological framework is crystal clear and glorious. Wholesome and clean. Your kids will not be confused. They will know who Jesus is as they grow up. That's why this celebration is so important to us. So decorate your sukkahs to the hilt. For unto us a child is born. And he is called Emmanuel. For he is God with us. And he lives in us. And this is the celebration of this week. I always set up a nativity scene too. Minus Santa. <laughs> but I set that up in our home. I use that for my grandkids. And I teach them about the human sukkah of God, Jesus, the Messiah. And about how he wants to make their lives, their bodies, a sukkah that he can dwell in. And so I encourage you also to get a nativity one, a, a, a biblically appropriate nativity scene, and set it up this week as well. There's no syncretism in the festival of Sukkot. There are no decorated pagan fir trees. There's no sacred ham dinner. There's no syncretizing the date of the false messiah Mithra on December 25th. This is a clean and appropriate holy time for you and your families and friends to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So have fun. Get your cheer on. No grumping all week long. Resist the grumpy spirits and celebrate all week long. I, you know, I'll tell you, what I learned to do when I was working, because uh, I worked for 20 years before I stepped into the pastorate, I asked my employer for the festivals off. I took my vacation time and I said, okay, this is when I want to have my vacations. I took my vacations during the holy days. 
so that I could actually celebrate and enjoy them. So I could have the whole week off and party every day and have friends over and relax and have a great time as I grew in Messiah. And then I came in the pastorate and now I work every holy day. It really bothers me. Man. But that's what we're called to do as priests that are in full-time ministry. And I still have a lot of fun. Believe me, I have a lot of fun. So have fun. It's a celebration of his birth during this fall holy week. Do it in honor of the birth of Jesus. And know that as you celebrate it, you are a living sukkah, a sukkah of God. Let your light shine. Let your living sukkah be available to everyone around you. Pray for people, love on people, do good deeds, and bring glory to the Son of the living God.